Hello, you are listening to On The Topic. I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And this week, we're going to be talking about some of our favourite Naughties films and some of yours as well. Uh, we are the same podcast, just different name. So under the weekly roundup, we brought you our, your favourite 90s films as well. Yeah, we did. We had a great fun with that one, actually. Lots of um, listening traction. And we, uh, we took plenty of trip down memory lane, Dan, didn't we? We did. And I'll tell you what, there's something just brilliant about the 90s. It was just such a different time. And you don't get get away with that sort of stuff now, like no. in the movie and TV world. I mean, I've been watching The Simpsons lately on um, Disney+, Plus, like from the, from the start. Mm. I mean, I know this isn't film related, but some of the stuff is just so funny. Like, you know, you watch some of the, the newer Simpsons stuff. It's just, it's bland. quite bland. Yeah, very lacking. Um, I mean, even some of the adult humour, which I understand now as an adult, it's just genius. So good. Yeah, they just don't make it like they used to, for sure. But um, yeah, we've, I'll, I'll put a link in the description below. Um, but that was a really good episode, and I really enjoyed that. Um, as I say, we've got quite a lot of uh, of listener interaction for that one. But now we're not doing 90s this week, Dan. That's been done. What are we doing this week? So it's going to be about the naughty. So films from 2000 all the way up to 2009. So there's a lot of ground cover. But what I sort of found when I was making my picks, it was a bit of a weird time. Like, obviously, we had the birth of the superhero genre in that time. But, mm. I mean, I couldn't really sort of pick out any sort of massive favourites. I mean, I made, I think out of all the films, I've got about five with a few honourable mentions. Really? Yeah. That's, that's interesting because that's quite the opposite. There was a... Um... There's a lot of films. I mean, I was watching loads of films during this time, right? Because I'll talk about it in a little bit when I go around why I've chosen some of these these uh, these films to talk about. But primarily, I was watching an awful lot of them during my university years and just after. So when you've got an awful lot of time in your hands, and there are absolutely tons. So actually, for me, Dan, it's quite the opposite. Mm. I found it really difficult to choose the films that I really wanted to, to, to talk about and to share with the listener um, today. But I, mean, I think we've both got tons of honourable mentions. So I think I've I kind of cheated and I've gone around that and I'll talk about my, my, my main favourite ones. But there's quite a few that I'll, I'll reference that I, I do enjoy. But before we get into to film stand, um, let's cast our mind back. It's going to make you feel really old. So the time of recording is about 20, 20 years ago, Dan. Quick maths. Um, and if that didn't make you feel old enough, so back in the beginning of 2000s, you know, the whole Y2K, the whole world was literally falling to bits because of a, a bit of um, erroneous code in computing that meant that once 1999 ticked over, the nuclear warheads would explode and VCRs, which were a thing back in those days, no, no uh, digital solid state hard drives, um, VCRs would stop working. They stopped recording from TV, which is illegal, by the way. Um, and the whole world would end. But it didn't. But what did no. happen, what did happen, Dan, was the first crew arrived on the International Space Station. So when ISS was a thing, um, they, uh, they first arrived when it orbited Earth in 2000. So the first crew landed 20 years ago. In 2005, we had a new pope. Cardinal Joseph Rettinger. During 2007, a little bit bleak here, Dan, apologies, but it was the beginning of the global economic downturn. Do you remember when we were all into recession? 
couldn't, oh, yes. couldn't afford anything and it was doom and gloom for a good couple of years. Well, um, that was back in 2007. And the controversial king of pop, Michael Jackson, passed away just before his This Is It tour in 2009. Ah, oh, because they released a film on that, didn't they? In the same year. That doc, uh, Was it the film or doc, the documentary? Yeah, it was a documentary, but it was in the cinema, and I remember going to see it in the cinema. It's it's really really good. If you have, if if you're a fan of Michael Jackson, at least should I say your music, and guys, you haven't seen it, it's really really good. It shows just how meticulous, just his work ethic, and just how dedicated he was to the fifty plus shows that he was planning. Um, it's it's brilliant, isn't it? it? Just shows you just how he was yeah. putting together his his cast and his crew, how he was just so detailed in the notes as he was teaching people how he wanted it. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's really, really good. Um, I say, uh, uh, he is controversial and there's four obvious reasons why, and that's not for this episode, but um, that documentary is, is phenomenal. I mean, isn't there a conspiracy theory that he is still very much alive somewhere? Uh, I mean, we'll be covering conspiracy theories volume two, um, sort of very, very soon. Yeah, we will. I mean, I mean, in between we'll be sort of covering our bread and butter, uh, the MCU and what's next, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like there are rumours that he's still very much alive, like um, Elvis was and Chupac. who else? Yeah, some weird stuff. Yeah, well, possibly he's kicking back, relaxing in uh, in South America, no doubt. But no, those are those are things that happened um, in the in the noughties. But um, Dan, kick, kick us off. What, what what have you chosen your first film up today? Well. I've chosen one that I think people probably aren't going to expect from me because, you know, I love all the superhero films under the sun. But first up, I've chosen Castaway from all the way back in 2000. Ah, okay. A Tom Hanks classic. Yeah, I love this film and I will explain why in a minute. Um, But just to give people a bit of a brief insight, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, Castaway holds an approval rating of 88%. Ooh, Uh, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by William Broyles Jr., produced by Steve Starkey, Tom Hanks himself, Robert Zemeckis, and jo- Jack Rapke. Uh, the budget wasn't massive, so it was only $90 million. And at the box office, it raked in $429.6 million. Uh, the cast is, of course, Tom Hanks, who plays Chuck Noland. You've got Helen Hunt as Kelly Frears. You've got Nick Searcy as Stan, who is a friend of Chuck. Chris Noth as Jerry Lovett. Larry White as Bettina Patterson. Vince Martin as Pilot Owl, who uh, sadly sees a grisly end very quickly. Uh, as does Michael Forrest as Pilot Jack. And you've got Jay Acavone as a Pilot Peter. Now, this all starts in 1995 when Chuck Noland, who is a time-obsessed systems analyst, travels the world resolving productivity problems as a fe- at FedEx depots. He is in a long-term relationship with Kelly Frears, with whom he lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Chuck's busy schedule often interferes with their relationship, so much so that during a family Christmas dinner, Chuck is summoned to resolve a work problem in Malaysia. Flying through a violent storm, his FedEx cargo plane crashes into the Pacific Ocean. Um, Chuck escapes in an inflatable life raft 
though the raft emergency locator transmitter is ripped off. The next day, Chuck, uh, in the damaged raft, washes up on an uncharted and uninhabited island. Mm. Can't get my words out there, Alex. Put your teeth back in. Yep. Uh, FedEx parcels, all full of useful items, all washed up on the uh, on the shoreline. And there's just one which has a pair of painted wings on it, which he actually doesn't open until... I don't think he opens it at all, because he actually tries to deliver it to the mm. person it belongs to. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert at the end. Yeah. Sorry mm. about that. He does. He gets off the island. Um, I mean, it's full of so many good moments. Like, I always... I always, I've tried to pick the films that I sort of find rememberable from this time. Um, I mean, of course, you've got Wilson, the the volleyball, which he sort of creates by accident. You know, you're on an island on your own. Yeah. I mean, uh, arguably, he is the star of the, the film, Dan, isn't he, Wilson? Yeah. I mean, it's such a, a different film to, I suppose, what you'd usually be used to. It's all driven by Hanks himself on an island, on his own, sort of he's living in hopelessness really um, i mean there's lack of food water shelter and say company but it's when he's creating the fire and um, he really cuts his hand he gets angry starts throwing things across the beach and then he grabs wilson the volleyball um which leaves the bloody hair mark he throws it but then he starts to draw a face on it and uh wilson's with him throughout most of the film yeah, so forever. Uh, not so. Uh, it's, it's not a feel-good film, I, I guess, unless you sort of look at it towards the end. Um, you say he's sort of living on his own on an island, and um, he's got an abscess on his tooth. And there's like this really grisly moment where he's got a, um, it's an ice skate, isn't it? And he sort of puts it in his mouth and just knocks it, and then it sort of cuts to four or five years later. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're sending it down, but yeah, it's um, it's uh, <laughs> it's a it's, it's a good film, and I, I guess it puts you in the shoes of if that will happen to you, if if you hadn't you've already done that through the the proceeds of Lost, the TV show, which apparently was based upon this this premise of the film, um, and I think the ending's somewhat bittersweet because although yeah. he, the rest of the world has moved on. He does end up kind of coming to terms with what's happened, and yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's truly unique in terms of the, for the time. I don't think there's really that many films since that have kind of have been like this. Dan, I think it's it is one of those more unique ones. I think Tom Hanks was perfect for it because he's he's just so good at portraying emotion, isn't he? And he's believable in the in, in the way he he acts and the the storylines he you know he plays through and this this one is a sensitive one i think he, he does a as a blinding job it's very very good mm. what's the film with uh matt damon in uh, i mean this is a few years later but the one where he's on mars uh funny enough called the martian yeah i mean i love that film because i found it very similar to this um of, although very different of course yeah but still stuck on a, a planet on your own sort of trying to survive it's it's cool uh, but a fun fact about Castaway, actually, mm. um, like the it. film shooting actually occurred between 1998 and the year 2000. Uh, but it was not shot consecutively. So Tom Hanks actually gained 50 pounds, which is about 23 kilos, during pre-production 
for the purpose of making his transformation more dramatic. Mm, okay. Eating all the uh, the cheeseburgers. Um, yeah. I've got another fun fact for you, Dan, actually. So you, you mentioned in the... Um, in the film where he cuts his hand and that's how he creates Wilson. Well, in reality, he legitimately did receive a cut. Really? Um, yeah, apparently. Just a couple of weeks before he left for production in Fiji, he got a cut and it got infected. And um, he nearly got blood poisoning. So the, the doctor actually managed to get it in time. Says, you know, well, what are you doing? This looks pretty savage. If you didn't get this looked at in a couple of weeks, you could be on your way to being dead, you know, six feet under. And he was like, oh, oh, I didn't wow. know that. Um, my bad. Um, and apparently the infection had got so bad that he'd actually spent about three or four days in hospital, you know, while he was getting treatment. And so they had to cut down or shut down production, so I'd say, for a good couple of weeks whilst Hanks was recovering. So um, the film wow. didn't happen, Dan, because um, a little cut meant that uh, poor Tom Hanks, the, uh, the sweetheart of Hollywood, nearly, um, nearly didn't make it. Wow, Jesus. I know I probably haven't sold that film, but if people haven't seen it, you definitely have to watch it and let us know what you think. Yeah, it's, I, think, I think I've only seen it once, but it does leave a lasting effect on you. On you and yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a great performance. But don't, don't expect an awful lot of action past the first, like, what, I guess, 25 minutes down. After yeah. Bangkok. But it's, um, it does make you think, I think. Definitely. So what have you got up first on your list, Alex? Yeah, well, the first of my uh, my five films, I mean, I could have chosen Iron Man. That was the first film that kicked off the MCU. And of course, what we'd end up knowing is being about 11 years or was it 20 films? Was it in the end or something? Um, uh, I think we're on 23. Yeah. So they equaled a good couple of billion pounds worth or dollars or in box office revenue. Um, but no, I didn't choose that one. Dan. Uh, I could have chosen The Hangover. Uh, the first That would be a good choice. Yeah, indeed. The first trilogy uh, featuring the Wolfpack starring Zach Galifianakis. Get my teeth in now. Bradley <laughs> Cooper and Ed Helms. But it wasn't Dan. I could have even chosen The Parts of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Now look, I think The Parts of the Caribbean has been milked to death, so much so that there's just the bare bones and it should never be revived, but I think there's going to be an all-female star cast that's going to reboot yeah, it. Yeah, it's um, being rebooted. I can't remember who's starring in it. Um, I will Google it and uh, find out. Well, they should get in the sea. But no, I didn't I didn't choose that one, which of course was Johnny Depp. Uh, the very wooden acting of Kira Knightley. I'm not sure if that's um, an unpopular opinion, but I don't think she can act. Um, or the penis paddle border Orlando Bloom. No, I'm not talking about them. Or even, Dan, the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It's a phenomenal film, of course, that kicked off um, the seven wonderful family friendlies in the form of Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, or other fantastic famous faces. No, Dan, I didn't choose any of those. I chose the first one up, The Deception. Oh. Have you heard this one before? Yeah, I have. I can't remember if I've actually seen it or not. Um, but I mean, I did watch a few films in the noughties. This might be quite telling. Because back in 2008, um, get get this right, this is <laughs> the first time I've said this, even on air, on my hospital radio show, or in recording I've said this. But it's a 2008, and this is a thing, American erotic thriller. Apparently. Okay. 
Um, I didn't even know that that, that kind of theme or genre existed. But anyway, it's an erotic thriller, apparently, uh, directed by a Marcel Langenegger and written by a Mark Bombach. Now, it stars the phenomenally talented Australian Hugh Jackman, the phenomenally talented Scotsman Hugh McGregor, and Michelle Williams. Now, I don't think Michelle's done too much, but you'd recognise, I guess, in Hollywood. She's more... This is really unfair for me to say, because I can't act, so... Obviously, she's got one up on me anyway. I think she's probably lower B-list, but you will, I think you would recognise in some films. Now, um, the film was released back in April 2008, and it's all about the story of a really boring auditor called uh, Jonathan McQuarrie, or an accountant, should I say. He does an audit. Now, late one, this is, I'm not spoiling anything, by the way, Dan, or hopefully jogging your memory, but very late one night while working on an audit at a law firm, He's uh, befriended by a very charismatic lawyer, Wyatt Bowes. Now, Wyatt Bowes is played by uh, Chapman, and the boring accountant is Ewan McGregor. Now, uh, they get talking, I think even um, uh, Wyatt lights up a, a spliff uh, and breaks down that Baron Walsman immediately. You know, the bloke's like, what are you doing here? You're a member of this this, this law firm. What? You can't be smoking here. And he's like, chill out, it's fine, it's all good, no one's going to know. And they strike up this, this kind of that risque, kind of edgy relationship. So, um, anyway, long story cut short, um, they become good friends, they go play squash, they see each other from time to time as they cross paths in and out of the office during this audit. Um, and they accidentally, apparently accidentally, switch cell phones, as we know, mobile phones over here in Europe. Um, now, the, the timid Macquarie receives a phone call on Wyatt's phone from a woman who asks if he's free that night, and that's apparently code. Um, he impulsively agrees to meet her at a hotel bar. Um, they proceed to go back to the hotel room and they procreate, they have sex. Um, and in the morning, he realizes that Wyatt is part of an exclusive sex club. Now, that in uh, itself that in itself sounds like quite a lot to handle, but actually, it gets a little bit more deep and there's other motivations and not as old as it seems. And there wasn't a mistake with the mobile phones. And I, I, I personally think, and that's why it's one of my top five, I think it's, it's a really well-written film. I, I think there's some really good twists, even if the critics didn't bug it to anything. Um, now, box office takings was pretty slim. Apparently, domestically, I took $20 million. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes only, <laughs> only gave it 11%. Now, oh, wow. Now that's bad. But they they say that it's a very simple storytelling and you could foresee the plot twist. And even if that's the case, I still think the characters are quite believable. And I really like the storyline. Um, it is edgy. It's not gratuitous. And I think it's a great ending. I put it up there as almost long, alongside, say, Swordfish. Now, Swordfish, I think, was done in a similar time. Uh, I think it was 2000, uh, and it wasn't telling like Swordfish was 2002, I think, and that stars Hugh Chapman. Um, but that's got a very good twist at the end. I think this does too, personally, but the uh, the critics didn't think so. Um, but that's my first one. So if you're looking for something a bit different, it sounds like Dan and I are both coming out the uh, the starting gates with not a superhero film, not an action film, but something entirely different. He's chosen, obviously, a... Um, I mean, what would you call Castaway? Uh... Slash thriller, it's probably more of a drama, isn't it? Yeah, a drama as such. Yeah. I guess it's a drama. Let's go with drama. So you've chosen a drama. I've chosen a erotic thriller. 
um, you, if you're downloading this episode and streaming it, you may go, what have I literally just started listening to? This doesn't sound like Alex and Dan. And you might be right. But stay tuned for my other four, because I promise it does sound more on brand. But if you, <laughs> have, if you haven't seen it, I think the deception is really, really good. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So, um, Dan, if you're trying to remember this one, and you've got a spare, probably an hour and 50 minutes, I would recommend going to watch it. And look, listen, if you haven't seen that film, I think it's worth a watch. And if at the end of it you go, Alex, that's garbage, great. Let me know in the comments uh, comments on the social medias. Drop us a voice message and let us know. But otherwise, that is my first one of this episode. Uh, before I go into my second choice, um, just going back to the Pirates Caribbean reboot. Oh, yeah. The the, yeah, get in the sea, but the rumours are uh, Margot Robbie and Karen Gillan so, to be cast. The only problem I have with that is, though, is it's almost like the Ghostbusters reboot. They're throwing an awful lot of A-star a type talent, and I just don't think anyone needs it. No one needs a part of the Caribbean unless it's Disney trying to churn up some more money. But anyway. Sounds about right. We shall see. I mean, poor John, Johnny Depp's needing to, to stay out of the limelight at the minute. And then coincidentally, he's actually, I think he's been house hunting down here on the south coast of the UK, Dan. He's been sighted just down the road. So um, oh, hopefully he finds an, a new abode and enjoys, no doubt, some restful time out of the limelight. But yeah, I don't think we need another part of the Caribbean, in my humble opinion. But um, yeah, interesting stuff. Right, so my second choice is a mm. Will Ferrell film. And you're probably thinking, well, Dan, it's obviously going to be Anchorman. Obviously. It's not. <gasps> oh, and then you're probably thinking, well, it must be Blades of Glory. I can see where you're it, going it's, with it. It's not. I've chosen Step Brothers from 2008. Oh, I was going to say Elf, because Elf actually was released in the same decade. And it was, uh, 2003, if I recall. I think so. And that nearly made my list. Oh, I don't know how it didn't make mine, actually. Now, now we've sort of said it's in that same era. But no, that's a good film. I mean, it's very rare that you'd find a, a, a poor one by that actor. But no, tell, tell us why, why you've chosen that one, Dan. Uh, just give people a bit of an insight. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it's an average rating of uh, 55%. But do you know what? That doesn't put me off. Nope. It is directed by Adam McKay, produced by Jimmy Miller and Judd Apatow. Story by Will Ferrell, Adam McKay and John C. Riley. I mean, the budget wasn't huge. It was only $65 million, but unfortunately at the box office, it didn't make a lot of bank. It only made $128.1 million. Oh. Uh, cast includes Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Richard Jenkins, Mary Steenbergen, Adam Scott and Catherine Hahn. So the story is Brennan Huff and Dale Doback are immature adults still living at home. <laughs> Brennan lives with his divorced mother, Nancy, and Dale lives with his widowed father, Robert. Robert and Nancy meet, fall in love and get married, forcing Brennan and Dale to live with each other as stepbrothers. Uh, I just find, I mean, people say that Anchorman is the most quotable Will Ferrell film for me, it's not. It's actually Step Brothers. Yeah, uh, just, I do agree with this, especially in the last, the final third of the film. I think. Yeah, it's just got so many good moments because they sort of start off as um, sort of enemies. I guess they sort of hate each other. Um, there's, a, there's a great moment where Will Ferrell goes on John T. Riley's drum set, 
goes back yeah. downstairs. Uh, he's on the sofa, and then John T. Riley walks in. He's like, "You're sweaty," and Will Ferrell's like, "Yeah, I was just watching Cops." Goes upstairs, uh, and he can see his drum play drum kit sort of out of place. And then they have a fight, which leads them out onto the lawn and uh, knock each other out with a baseball bat and a golf club. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a it's an odd film, an odd odd. Um, kind of set up but it just works perfect with those two actors doesn't it it's just it's it's so silly it just works absolutely fantastically yeah uh, I mean they become friends in the end and there's a great moment where they're going through job interviews together uh, it's just hilarious I think um, there's a job interview where they go in and Seth Rogen is interviewing them for I think it's just like a cleaning job or something and um John C. Riley does this massive fart, and Seth Rogen's like, "Is that ketchup? Tastes like onions, <laughs> or something like that?" I can't really remember. It's just such a ridiculous film. Yeah, uh, at the end, so feel good. At the end, when they um, they they reconcile and they meet, what like a year later or something, at the Catalina wine mixer, which if anyone if anyone's kind of familiar with that that name then they'll know exactly what it is immediately. And if you don't, you might go, well, what the hell have you just said, Alex? Those, those sets of words make no sense whatsoever. But it's just, it's a phenomenal kind of final scene, isn't it? Where the whole cast get back together and it's just, these feel good at the end, isn't it? They they come together, even if they're not actual brothers by law, they, uh, they reunite and they have one final kind of singing session. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's so, yeah. Uh, Farrell and Riley have actually talked about a sequel. Um, oh, Riley do had the uh, yeah, Riley had the idea. Uh, McKay was also interviewed about the possible sequel, and he said, "We're kicking around the idea of Step Brothers too. We feel like there's way more fat to be mined there. While it isn't quite the legend that Anchorman is, it has built kind of a nice following. We think it would be a pretty fun one." Uh, don't know how I feel about a sequel because Anchorman 2 is shite yeah yeah I said it get in the sea uh, it will never touch the first film I don't think no 100% and I think the way we should have told the story of the two brothers I don't think you need to do anything else I think they cover from the beginning of the relationship to the breakdown invariably then to the end where they they come together and I just I don't see a need for it, Dan, personally. Um, I know what they're saying, but at the minute, when everything's a bloody sequel in, in Hollywood, I just don't think we need this one. No, definitely not. Just leave it. It's, it's a classic in its own right. It is. So good. It just doesn't need to be re- revisited again. Uh, I think, they you say, it's, it sort of ran its course with the first film. Mm. Boats and Hose. Boats and hose, indeed. <laughs> uh, what is your next choice? Well, next up, Dan. I mean, I could have chosen Ocean's Eleven, the s- star-studded original heist film with George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Andy Garcia, amongst others. But no, I didn't. I could have, Dan, chosen Kill Bill Volume One. Now I saw that in the cinema. I actually saw both in the cinema, and they were phenomenal. Um, That made my honourable mentions, actually. Nice and gory. Yeah, a good old bloody Tarantino. Slicing and dicing revenge film. Um, Of course, with Uma Thurman. What's Thurman? 
take on the Bloody Bride. Uh, but no, I didn't. I could have mentioned, Dan, a super band, which is a phenomenal coming-of-age film launching the careers of Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen and Michael Serra and the Christoph Mintzplatz uh, with some most iconic pop-cultural scenes. Or, Dan, I could have even gone left-field and there's a close second, actually. I nearly chose this one. A rather head-scratching science fiction cult classic, Donnie Darko, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh. Now, I can't really tell you still after seeing it a couple of times and reading some of the uh, the write-ups really what it means. But I know some stuff happens. But what I do know is it's got quite a cult following. But no, Dan, I didn't choose that one either. I chose The Descent. I think this made some of our um, listeners' lists as well, I think. Did it? Oh, great minds. Let me let me give you a little bit of background, Dan, about why I chose this one. Now, you might say, well, this is nostalgia. Well, hey, look, we're all for nostalgia on, uh, on topic. And this is a naughties, right? So let's just get that out of the way. There is going to be some nostalgia here. But I still think it's a pretty good film. Um, now, I saw this in my, I think, my second or third year of university. And I was introduced by my good friend, uh, Matt, who used to work at Blockbusters. Now, Dan, you remember Blockbusters, don't you? That was a simpler time. I mean, it's, it was so good going in and renting a VHS or a UN64 PlayStation game. Yeah. It, I it was feel a, really nostalgic. It's a shop of dreams. And, you know, the, the kids these days, as they say, I don't know how, how good they've got it being able to stream because it's on a Sunday night. You're relaxing after your your Sunday lunch, your Sunday dinner. You kick back and relax and watch some shite on BBC. And instead you go, oh, I've still got the DVD or the tape on the table, on the dining table or the, on the lounge table. And Blockbusters are about to close in 10 minutes. You can say, Alex, it doesn't matter. Put it in the next day. <laughs> but you can't do that back in the noughties. Because, Dan, you'll get a significant fine, won't you, from Blockbusters? Yeah. Every day you don't have that in. It's like a good couple of quid. Um, uh, you know, people would literally see people rushing down just before the shops closed to uh, to hand in back in their tapes and DVDs. Um, now, I, I, as I say, I used to, to go into Blockbuster because my mate was working at the time. I used to sit behind the counter when no one could see me. We'd all look under the racks and have a cup of tea, a cheeky cup of tea. Um and uh, yeah, it was just a wonderful, wonderful place. Anyway, so I, I, I went there to visit my mate Matt. You say, Alex, wrap it up now. I'm wrapping the story up. Uh, I went there with Matt, met him, grab a quick cup of tea, and then we went back to his, and he had this DVD with him. He said, oh, let's pop this one on. It's new, Alex. I think it's really, really good. I think we'll enjoy it. Turned off all the lights, and we, we put this on. And it's, it's an adventure horror film, right? So it's directed by Neil Marshall, and it's, I think it's probably going to be one of the best British horror films probably made in recent times. Bold statement. Bold. But we do some pretty good ones, I think. Um, and this this one, for me, is, is one of the ones at the top of the list. Now, if you haven't heard of it, or you don't quite remember, uh, the film follows six women who have entered the cave system. And they struggle to survive against some unknown horrors which have been lurking beneath the surface. So you may say, okay, Alex, boring. That's not enough. Well, let me just tell you a little bit more. Dan, are you scared of the dark? 
I'm not scared of the dark, no. Okay. This film might be for you. But if, if, if you are scared of the dark, you may want to give this one a swerve. Dan, do you feel a bit claustrophobic sometimes? Yes. Okay. We're in uh, rocky water here because actually there's an awful lot of claustrophobia. Uh, this has it in spades. Are you scared of monsters who could hunt you down in tight spaces in the dark, Dan? Uh, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, this um, is going to petrify you. This is a full house now. Um, now, suffice to say, I mean, they kind of wrapped up the film in, in a nice little bow. But um, suffice to say, a lot of the cast don't make it back to the surface. Now, I'm not spoiling anything. I'm not going to say who. But um, it wouldn't be a horror film if they all survived and, and skipped away home. Um, and there is actual a pretty phenomenal final scene twist, which you're not expecting. And it cuts to black. So it's a real shock factor. So you do, I haven't spoiled it, and actually not going to spoil the twist. I think it's really, really good. And you could say, well, it leads you into the second film, which is absolute garbage. Shock, we just said that, you know, sequels are appalling, and this one was a cash grab. But um, no, no, it's a really, really good film all the way through to the end. Um, now, the filming took place in, in here in the UK. And exterior film uh, scenes were filmed at Ashridge Park in Hertfordshire. And in Scotland, because the filmmakers consider it too dangerous and time-consuming to shoot in an actual cave. Makes sense. Too, uh, too close and too dangerous. And interior scenes were filmed on sets between Pinewood Studios and other locations. Now, The Descent opened in cinemas here in the UK in July 2005, and it premiered in 2006 in the Sundance Film Festival. Now, the film received actually positive reviews, Dan. And was a box office success, apparently. And I suppose it is in the context of what we'll talk about here. It only cost $3.5 million to make. That's, n- I mean, that's not big money, is it? It's nothing. I mean, I know we're talking millions, but that's nothing in comparison to, to the budgets of films. And that's because all you need is a cast who just need to be paid, but this is a British film, a British horror film. So it's not going to be up there in, in costs, you're not A-lists. Um, and I'll go through some of the actors in a minute. But these aren't A-lists. And it's just in a cave with carabiners and rope and people dressed as scary cave people. So actually, the, bo- the, the budget is quite modest. Um, now, with 3.5 million, it made 57.1 back. So actually, in terms of profit, that's quite big. That's, that's significant. But, I mean, it's not up there in terms of the big, big bank, but it's still not too bad at all. Now, the film starred um, little-known Natalie Mendoza playing Juno, Shauna McDonald as Sarah. I think she... Oh, okay, I'm spoiling now. She does make it back for the second film, uh, but I think this is the only one that I've seen her in. Um, and Mayanna Burring as Sam, as well as others. But I think The Descent is... I think it's one of those underrated kind of cult classic horror films. And again, if, if you kind of like the idea of people being alone underground thinking they're going to enjoy themselves and then it ends up becoming an absolute horror fest this is a great great film um i thoroughly enjoyed it didn't know what to expect but if you're looking to go cave diving this probably this film isn't for you because you're not going to want to go underground after seeing this but as i say that's my second film dan i thoroughly recommend it and that's the descent nice uh, I've just googled the uh, the film actually, and the creatures look horrifying. They are absolutely nightmare fuel, but again, all all budget. So really, really they, well done. 
literally looked like a cross between Gollum and the Orcs in Lord of the Rings. Terrifying. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe actually, Dan. Uh, and if you've got a whole horde of those chasing you in the dark, it's um, it makes for actually a really good good film. Right. Anyway, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to take things back now to normality for for us as a podcast. Oh yeah. Because uh, I think we had a few uh, sort of curveballs of our choices. Mm. If you're going to do a reboot, this would be it. Oh, I know where you're going with this one. 2009. Yeah. Uh, was this one on your list or is it an honourable mention? It was an honourable mention. I nearly did call it out as well as another reboot, but um, oh, Chris Pine, I mean, I don't think I'd seen him too much up until this point. And I thought he's just too young, too ballsy to play um, the lead character, but ah, oh, he's he is wonderful, and I think he he really makes it his own this one, Dan. Um, but I'm going to shut up. This is your choice, and then I can come in later. But yeah, why did you choose Star Trek? Uh, I mean, it's directed by J.J. Abrams, who um, I, mean, I suppose I'm quite fond of him as a as a director. Mm. I mean, I think the only problem is he gets a little bit bored when he's doing things like I sort of mentioned Lost and Fringe, for example. Yeah, you can tell when he sort of jumped on different projects as everything else sort of goes a bit stale. Mm. But hey, it is what it is. But I, I like Abrams and I think he did a good job on Star Wars as well. Um, unfortunately, he had to try and rescue the disaster that was Episode Eight. Still trash. Yeah. Uh, watched it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, still regretting it. Uh, produced by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. Written by Roberto Orki and Alex Kurtzman. Um, now the budget was 150 million, and unfortunately, didn't make quite a lot at the box office. It only made 385.7 million. But I mean, the cast is phenomenal. I mean, I loved watching the original Star Trek growing up with my nan. Um, you know, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, etc., etc. Mm. I mean. They got the casting so right with this, I think, and that's probably why it won me over. hundred um, percent. You've got John Cho, Ben Cross, uh, Bruce Greenwood, Simon Pegg, who I thought was phenomenal in this yeah. as Bones. Yeah. No, he wasn't Bones, was he? No, he was Scotty. No, uh, Scotty. But Bones that's right. was was uh, Carl Urban. Yeah, Amazon's the boys star, Carl Urban, who, again, is quite left field, but he does such a great, great job. Uh, talk of the boys start season two yet uh, yeah uh, episode two I've I've got way laid with a couple of other series that I'm watching but it's um, it's good it's good yeah same I think we're in the same position because uh, I've just finished watching Lucifer the, the first eight se- first eight episodes shall I say of season five which is really good uh, if people haven't started watching that yet get on that uh, but anyway back to the cast I'm I'm digressing uh, you've got Winona Ryder. Um, Zachary Quinto does a great job as Spock. Yeah. Uh, Zoe Saldana. Um, sadly, the, the late Anton Yelchin, who was brilliant as the, the Russian guy. Um, Eric Banner as the um, as the villain. Oh, yes. Uh, what's the villain's name? Uh, Nero. Yep. And, of course, the legend, the late Leonard Nimoy himself. 
was in there as an, an older Spock. Indeed. Uh, I mean, it's a very simple synopsis. Uh, James Kirk, a brash young man, and Spock, an alien with human and Vulcan blood, join the crew of the USS Enterprise to combat Nero, a member of the Romulan race who wants to destroy multiple planets. But, I mean, for me, it just sort of captures the nostalgia of the original Star Trek for me, and um, that's probably why I love it so much. Yeah, I think the the storyline. I mean, I think Star this Star Trek iteration just does so well in terms of bringing on board a new audience because it, it it's not the hardcore science fiction TV series that the people around the world absolutely love and adore, which both of us do. Um, I think it's quite quite a good opportunity for people to onboard just a very simple film. Is very easy to get. You don't need to have seen an episode of Voyage or Deep Space Nine, or or um, Discovery, recent Discovery, or even Picard. You could just pick this up and just see it as a. Uh, it feels bad and, and wrong for me to say this, but you could just pick it up and see it as a Chris Pine film, and you could just yeah. onboard it and just appreciate it for what it is. Now, obviously, people who who like Star Trek and the franchise and know and love and have grown up with it, like you and me we all have a different layer and different lens to it but yeah definitely it's it's very nostalgic but I think because of the way it did the plot it could deviate from the additional films because of course the events of the film well, this isn't a shock to him hopefully um, it's not mentioned in any other series because what they've done is they've kind of interrupted and it's set itself on a different path which means creativity or creatively shall I say they can then go in any direction they want to, which is Into Darkness, which I think is the next one, and then Star Trek yeah. Beyond, which is the third one, which is all right. But um, because of that, they've actually kind of created their own kind of timeline and their own kind of set of films, which is independent and, and creatively free. Um, and I, I, I think it's a... I, I really enjoy I think this... Both this one and Into Darkness, I think, are very good with Bendit's Cucumber Patch. Um, I think he's great in that as well. Um, the third one, not so much, but this one is just, it's a great way to onboard into, into the film. But as I say, if you're not interested in Star Trek, just watch it for a Chris Pine uh, action film. It's, it's so, so good. And he, he acts so well. And as I said, when I first heard this, Dan, I thought Chris Pine getting a C. Cause I, didn't think, yeah. I, think, I don't think I really saw him in much that I thought, oh yeah, he's a great actor. But actually, he's pretty good. And I think he carries carries a, a, quite a significant role but makes it his own and I think that's the key here for me uh, I think Zachary Quinto also um, oh, yeah, captures Spock really well I mean yeah. again like yourself I thought how can someone that played Siler in Heroes as oh, like, this yeah. big bad villain how could he possibly pull off someone like Spock but he does it so well and so brilliantly um, I mean, I can't follow it. And I, mean, I see the relationship that the the two characters have. Um, you know, Kirk and Spock. Um, it's cat and dog. It's like a married couple, isn't it? In in the TV program, but you really do. You get bought into that relationship on screen. I just think, hopefully, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto really do like each other in reality because you, you do get a sense of that camaraderie, um, and they pull it off so well. And it's. It's a, com- a complex relationship to get right in like two and a half hours. But for me, they both nail it. They really, really do. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, if, people, if Star Trek fans haven't watched this, then I, I'd get, I'd understand why they wouldn't have done. Um, I mean, if you can sort of get past the the trademark J.J. Abrams lens flare, mm-hmm. it's a very modern version of the original. Uh, I say it's, there's that nostalgia for me, which is why I loved it. Yeah, there's also, don't forget, in the first opening five minutes, there's also Chris Hemsworth. Yes, there is. Um, Chris Pine's dad, or James Kirk's dad, should I say. Jim Kirk's dad, yeah. Um, not not legitimately uh, Chris, Chris Pine's dad. Not That'd actually. be weird. That would be a little bit odd. But yeah, um, he's in it as well for all five minutes before then he becomes space dust. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Uh, so what is your next choice? Yeah, uh, next up for me, well, I could have chosen Dan. District 9. Uh, Neil Blomkamp's District 9, the bloody sci-fi film, which has um, kind of resonating themes, sadly, of current South Africa. But I didn't choose that. But it was a great film. Uh, I could have chosen, love or hate him, a Tom Cruise, I think one of his, one of his finest sci-fi films, uh, helmed by Spielberg, Minority Report. But I didn't choose that one. No, Dan. I'm choosing another family-friendly musical. Okay. Curveball. School, School of Rock, Dan. Oh, great choice. Jack Black. Yeah, School of Rock. Now, as I'm saying it, I've got a big smile on my face, which is really odd. But I think this <laughs> this film is just so, so wonderful. Um, if you don't know anything about it, guys, let me just give you a very quick synopsis. So yeah, it does have Jack Black. Um, and he stars as Dewey Finn. He's a guitarist who's kicked out of his own rock band. He thinks he's too too big for his own boots, and his band just sick and tired of him, so they kick him out. And he's got a mountain of debts and also depression. He's also a little bit lazy. The two aren't related, of course. I'm just saying, but he uh, he finds it very difficult to get himself motivated, and he's lazy, and he moves off other people. Uh, and he shares an apartment with an old band member who is now a substitute teacher. So Dewey accepts a job as a substitute teacher at the private elementary school when his um, his flatmate uh, doesn't pick up a phone call. He's out on another job. So he impersonates him. And um, he learns while he's, he's at this school and they think that he's a substitute teacher. And he's a, a music teacher. And he learns that there are talented young musicians at this private school. And decides to form a rock band with them. Because, of course, there is there is a final scene where there is a uh, battle of the bands. Of course there is. And the prize money is $10,000. And that'll be the answer to all these woes. You know, he's got this debt. He wants to get out of this this house share. And uh, he wants to, to, to write, write himself and get back onto the straight and narrow. Um, now... Um, Obviously, in uh, the, the the students, these are actually bona fide actors. They are very well uh, well established child actors, but also they're actually musicians and they're singers. So you've got triple threats here, and the cast is phenomenal. So I don't think I recognise any of the, the the kid actors, but they're they're really really quite talented. Um, uh, and of course, whilst the film has plenty of toe tapping songs, um, it does kind of build to a conclusion at the end. Quite a moralistic one, Dan. I'm not sure if you remember the ending. I won't spoil it because I do want people to watch it if they haven't seen it. But yeah. um, it's it, it really is something which everyone is yearning for at the end where 
kind of he pulls things around he comes clean and again i'll stop there but it's it's it all has a very nice tight bow all tied up a nice nice ending um uh, especially for the disenfranchised jack black now that was a budget of 35 million it made a pretty respectable 131 worldwide which isn't bad um and it was certified dan 91 percent fresh it's, it's a good one i've got it on dvd still um, it's still got really it somewhere good. in the archives i love this film i mean as a musician how could you not appreciate this oh well yeah and even if you're not you know it's I mean, the critics are claiming it's Black's exuberant, gleeful performance turns School of Rock into a hilarious, rocking good time. But I think it's also kind of reminiscent of, I'd say, a decade previous, the earlier part of the decade, where you got the things like um, the Robin Williams films, um, you know, where he's um, the nanny. Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. How could I forget Mrs. Doubtfire? Um, it's the slapstick silly comedy film it's 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 such a great feel-good movie and you know i know jack black is divisive because i know that people can't stand him i know some people love him but this is the perfect if someone said what's the best script for jack black this is it and he he just owns it and he makes it his own and i think it's just a, a great great film so again another very left field film for me dan of the noughties but School of Rock is just such a great one. I think he's also a musical. And I think in the last five or so years, it's been made into a musical. Now, whenever we can go back into to the theatres, we may be able to go and see it. But, um, yeah, for the moment, you've got to take my word for it. But, yeah, it's School of Rock is a great, great film. And, um, yeah, one that you should hope... Well, it's usually cast out, isn't it, around Christmas. So it'll be out pretty pretty soon as a time of recording. But, um, yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my third choice. That's a great choice. So, oh, so good. Uh, my next choice, I mean, this is going to be an obvious one. We've already mentioned it, mm. is Iron Man 2008. Uh, I mean, we always say this is our bread and butter. We love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is where it was born. Um, and thank you, John Favreau. Um, he sort of set up the, um, the franchise, really, with... Avi Arad and Kevin Feige. Yeah. Uh, and he gave us, they pretty much gave us the Marvel films that we've always wanted and deserved from the start, really. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'd nearly, and I very nearly put 2000 X Men in. Um, yeah, same. It very nearly made the list because I loved that film. I, I saw that at cinema, but. But it hasn't aged well, though, Dan, has it? No, I mean, the X-Men films are, sort of just became a bit of a, a mess. Yeah, it's a laughing stock. I mean, two was good, uh, and then it just went downhill, really. And um, I'm sort of kind of glad now that Disney bought Fox, and we should hopefully get better X-Men films in the future, mm-hmm. he says. Under the uh, I mean, this will be something we sort of talk about in the next episode. Um, but you just... you just can't beat Iron Man 2008 uh, as a starting point because who knew that this would lead us 10, 11 years on to Endgame so good 100% I mean if you think about Danny Jr I mean, we talked about this before in um, the weekly roundup previously but Danny Jr you know 15 
years prior to that, he wasn't in a good place. And it's it's actually not my place to, to, to talk about his troubles and his woes, but you know, the listener can Google that and look into it if they don't know. But he really wasn't in a good place. So for him to pick up this role and to excel, I mean, this this really did revive his career. Um, mm. And he, and I think the, 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 the lines are probably blurred in reality between where does RDJ stop and where does Tony Stark start? Because they, I think now there's an argument to say they're probably one the same. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the way he sort of acts personally in interviews, you sort of always see the uh, the Tony Stark. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you just. I think we mentioned this in the casting episode as well. Um, Marvel didn't want him, but John Favreau was so adamant that he was perfect for the role. It just seemed to work. Um, I think if I recall, uh, Marvel said he was too old. But look where we are now. Yeah. Uh, Terence Howard, I mean, he didn't last very long. Um, I think he demanded more money than yeah. what he was on. Um, he wanted more than what Robert Downey Jr. was being given. But I think Marvel told him to take a hike. Uh, also, we had Jeff Bridges as the villain. Ah, Phenomenal. And, uh, of course, Gwyneth Paltrow, who uh, I don't think she even remembers being in half of these films, but, no. hey, it is what it is. Uh, I mean, what a great origin film as well, um, which starts off as Tony Stark, uh, an industrialist, is captured. He constructs a high-tech armoured suit to, to escape. Obviously, he's got all the bits of shrapnel in his chest where the bomb went off. And he's got to create the, the arc reactor to stop shards going into his heart uh, he decides to use his suit to fight against evil forces to save the world so he actually does a huge sort of a a 180 he's like well I've made these weapons and I'm selling them to the bad guy well do you know what I'm going to make this suit to, to protect the world um, it's just a great way to kick things off yeah really, uh, and it's not <laughs> It sounds silly when I say it out loud, but I truly mean I don't think it's it's a superhero that film of that we know now. It's it is a superhero film. It is obviously of a well known character, but I think if if you're not interested in the comic books, this isn't like you know spandex flying through the air. This this is about someone who's come to terms with his legacy and what he's done as his choices and his decisions because he's a businessman and trying to to make good on those and that's all it really is as a core film oh yeah at the end you know he's built a suit of armour of metal and he flies and he has repulsor rays coming out of his hands but it's not it's not I don't think at least in comparison to 10 years worth of films it's not kind of your superhero film like we know now I think it's anyone could on board and, and watch and enjoy it for what it is um, and I, I saw it very recently I've, I've with Disney Plus, I've started to go through the whole back catalogue of the MCU, trying to, to go through in order. And I think it's still masterfully directed and wonderfully mm. written and perfectly um, acted, Down, I mean, okay, Terrence Howard, I still think he did a good roadie. It's unfortunate he, he's greed got the better of him. Um, he should have had the foresight to know that he could have obviously gone to greater and bigger things. But, um, but nonetheless, I mean... Everyone else saw it for what it was, and it's. I think it's a really, really good film. I really enjoyed it. I said the other day that I saw it, and uh, 
is still up there as one of the best, I think, for sure. Yeah. Um, also, to that point, uh, I think Marvel Studios is much like the comics. They go that little bit deeper into the character. And it gives you that little bit of background. And it sort of fleshes out the character as opposed to, you know, you get the X-Men. And it's like, uh, well, I mean, this is Wolverine. He's got claws. Yeah. Brilliant. Cheers for that. And then they did an Origins film, which was absolute shite, which belongs in the sea. Yeah, um, or Ryan Reynolds. But, yeah, I think this is probably, again, I sort of say this like whenever we talk about Marvel, but I just find it more relatable because you can sort of get that character and understand what they've been through yeah. and what they're going through. And it is rooted in, dare I say it, inverted commas, real world kind of type scenarios. They've kind of made it more relatable, I think, to the audience and just taking it straight out of the comic books like with X-Men. They've, they've kind of taken it to the bare bones and built it up. And I think that's why, for me, it's one of the, the best origins and such a great film that I think satisfied you know, fans, children, adults around the world and still does because it's just mm. so well positioned. But that rounds off my fourth choice. Good choice, Dan. Well, my fourth choice is probably not going to be a surprise now. Um, don't worry, guys. We're going to resume normal um, podcasting uh, behaviours now. And, well, we've already mentioned Star Trek, so I haven't chosen that one. Um, I could have chosen another superhero film, Dan, The Dark Knight, which of course is critically acclaimed. Um, one of the best superhero films. It is the Nolan powerhouse featuring Christian Bale, Michael Caine and the late Heath Ledger. But no, I'm not going to choose that one. But that one is a fantastic film. I could have also, Dan, gone a little bit more left field, as I've done so far on this episode, and gone with Slumdog. Slumdog Millionaire, which is by the UK talent Danny Boyle featuring Dev Patel the phenomenally acted and charismatic Anil Kapoor and others, but I didn't choose Slumdog either, Dan. But if I did, be for good reason, because I think it's a wonderful tale that's told in that one. But no, mm. I haven't chosen Slumdog. Dan, I've chosen probably the best, in my opinion, but potentially divisive outing of a very colourful and varied cat in cinema history. Okay, I'm waiting. It's... With bated breath, it's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. Probably one of the better Craig films, to be honest. I know, um, it's, I mean, it's the best. The others can get Sky, in the same. Really? I, I prefer Skyfall. Skyfall's a good second, but it's, it still has its flaws. But no, for me, Casino Royale. Because, I mean, it, it, so Craig, right, he was hot off Layer Cake. Layer Cake is a great gangster, again, British gangster film if you haven't seen that one press on pause go watch it and then come back but um, yeah he's he's hot of layer cake and straight into the shoes of Piers Brosnan which was the, the, the prior Bond um, and the current and final iteration of that that character as we know it now the, the premise is after earning his double O status and the license to kill so this is almost like a it is an origins film but they don't they don't dress it up as such today. So in the very first, I think it's three minutes, probably 50 seconds, you see him gaining his double O status. So he's new to the job, but they don't, they don't kind of reboot it. It's a kind of a soft reboot. You know, they just continue mm. as, as things are. And I'll, I'll talk about why in a second, but, um, he earns his license to kill and he sets out on his first mission. 
It's all about defeating a private banker who funds terrorists. And the only way that he can get his money back or to, to, to get the money, because the, um, the, the, the baddie in this one, um, Le Chiffre, he, he bets against a, a world event. So he's going to crash a, a brand new super plane, like a Boeing uh, plane on its uh, maiden flight. He bets against it. Uh, rigs it to blow or tries to do a, a terrorist incident but unfortunately Bond saves the day good because that's what he does he's an MI6 agent bad if you're betting against it because the event doesn't happen and the stocks still remain largely unaffected so he loses an absolute killing so what he does is he raises a high stakes game in Montenegro in this Casino Royale which is based upon Fleming's first book which is a great great read you look past the fact that over a point like what uh, 70, 80 years old as a story is still still wonderfully told and very close to, to, to the detail and um, Bond has to go and <clears throat> enter into this high stakes game to basically steal the money off the chiffre before then it goes back into um, his hands and he's funding other terrorists and that's all it really is Dan isn't it it's yeah. He doesn't run around with laser pens or get in the sea, invisible cars, none of that Bosnian crap. He doesn't um, skydive out of planes. He's doing none of that. He's just got the, the, the suave, kind of smooth, hand-to-hand combat of uh, a spy. And I, I think it's, uh, it's quite gritty for a Bond film, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah. like I say, it doesn't quite have that... Uh, I mean, it's charming, but it hasn't quite got that sort of um, like the technological charm like you say he hasn't got like a remote control car and all the stuff that goes underwater or an exploding pen none of it's that it's just none of that it's, so it's very raw it's very gritty um, and it's it, it, it works for the film yeah yeah 100% because it he does do hand to hand and he doesn't just shoot everyone he doesn't have a gun of course he's, a, he's an agent but he uh, um, I mean the only kind of bit of tech he really has is a uh, it's a mini defibrillator, which he fails to connect pro- up properly and he ends up dying. Um, and again, that's a brutal scene because he's, he's poisoned. Anyway, I won't spoil it because I, I do want to listen to watch it if they haven't already. Um, but there's also a very brutal stairway scene. And that's all hand-to-hand with people throwing themselves down flights of stairs. No gunfire. And it's just, it's such a departure from probably the way it ends up with Pierce Brosnan. It's nothing to do with the actor. I think it's a splendid job at the role of the MI6 agent, but the writing got sloppy and they relied upon really silly storylines of, you know, super rays from satellites and melting glasses and, uh, and North Koreans. It just, it, I think it lost its way. So they really stripped it down to its bare bones. And for me, it's, it, it was phenomenal. Um, even to, to look at the stunt work, I mean, the stunt work was pretty on point to the point where, I think one of the most iconic scenes is a DBS, which is um, flipped, if you remember, Dan, I think towards the mm. third part of the film. Bond is going to go and try and rescue Vesper Lind, um, played by Eva Green, and the car is flipped. Now, I'll give you a little bit of an insight, Dan. Um, apparently, after kind of guessing the rough weight of the vehicle, because it wasn't in production at the time, it was this was going to be the kind of the landmark kind of launch of that vehicle through the film, because um, Aston Martin hadn't got it on production yet. Um, the stunt coordinator at the time had to come across a little snag, Dan. 
So in the script, the Aston Martin was due to roll over. But in reality, they couldn't do it. They just couldn't get it to roll over due to, to physics and, and the weight of the vehicle. Even mm-hmm. if they stripped it down, just, just wouldn't roll over and fulfill the scene. So um, to help to, to, uh, to get around this, um, they equipped the $200,000 plus vehicle that's just about to go into production with a, um, a pressurized pneumatic ram for the nitrogen. And when they press the button, the ram hits the ground and catapults the vehicle up. So they, they drove it, I think, at 80 plus miles an hour, hit the button with this ramp, which shoots out the bottom of the car. You can't see it while well, they edit it out in post-production. And that way they got it to flip. And that's why it looks so spectacular. But actually, they, they destroyed a legitimate um, Aston Martin. So it was wow. legitimate $200,000 down the drain in that shot. I think they did it about three times. Now, I doubt Aston Martin probably charged them that. They probably just said, it's free advertising, go ahead. But they wrecked about three or four of those cars. But they, they limited that, that damage because they got it so right after trying to, trying to flip it the first two or three times. Um, anyway, it's obviously one of the most iconic scenes. It's also in the Guinness Book, Book of World Records as the most cannon rolls ever completed in the car. So wow. it's not just good-looking, record-breaking down. And don't say I don't teach anything on this uh, on this podcast channel. <laughs> we like the so, fun facts. Indeed, right? So uh, certified 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that starred, of course, Daniel Craig, Eva Green, I mentioned. A, um, a really great acting Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre. A Judy Dench who returns, weirdly enough, from the previous outings of Bond, um, from the Brosnan era, and introducing a, uh, a new Phoenix lighter in the hugely talented Jeffrey Wright. Um, I can't speak more highly and fondly of it. It's it's a wonderful film, probably one that I see annually. Is that sad that uh, I love it? But yeah, that's um, that one for me is Casino Royale. Dan, uh, just on the, a quick note of Mads Mikkelsen uh, as Le Chiffre, he's got the asthma pump. Um, this really does my uh, my missus head in. He doesn't take the asthma pump properly. Oh dear, not as a doctor, yeah. doctor directed. No, I mean, whenever, whenever we watch Casino Royale, it, it grinds our gears. Uh, but anyway, my final choice before I roll out my uh, all of my honourable mentions, mm. and then we'll go to the listener. Of course, my last choice is, as you mentioned, The Dark Knight from 2008. So the, the, the Christopher Nolan powerhouse mm. uh, produced by Emma Thomas, Charles Roven and Christopher Nolan. Uh, the budget was 185 million, and of course, this one broke the billion-dollar bank mark. Uh, it was just over yeah. there, actually. Um, brilliant casting. Uh, we had Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, uh, Gary Oldman, Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal, so mm, uh, the, yeah. the sister Rolf, I believe. Yeah. Not as talented though. She's rubbish. No, uh, although she does appear in one of my honourable mentions, which I'll get to okay. shortly. Uh, and Morgan Freeman, of course, oh, yeah. absolute legend. As um, Lucius Fox. Yeah, um, the synopsis, I mean, if anyone hasn't seen it, I mean, if you haven't, where have you been? Mm-hmm. Um, after Gordon, Dent and Batman begin an assault on Gotham's organised crime. 
the mob's hire the Joker, a psychopathic criminal mastermind who offers to kill Batman and bring the city to its knees. Now, I've heard people say that uh, Heath Ledger's Joker probably wouldn't be that rememberable if he hadn't sadly passed away. No chance. But you tell me, someone that's performed as the Joker better than Heath Ledger either side. I mean, I, I, I presume Joaquin Phoenix has probably come quite close in last year's Joker. I still haven't seen it. I still need to, to get on that. But, uh, yeah, me too. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard, well, he's obviously won an Oscar for it. It's got to be good. But I mean, Heath Ledger, I mean, he was he immersed himself so much into the character that, well, it, it contributed to some extent, they say, in terms of his untimely, sadly, um, passing. But um, he, it was such a an enchanting and worrisome kind of viewing of that character, wasn't it? It was just... It really was quite, quite a phenomenal kind of depiction of such a, a troubled character that it just was, was so well acted. Did he posthumously win awards for it? I think after he passed away, he was given some kind of nod for his Ooh. depiction. I'll have a look at that whilst we're talking, but I think he, he yeah. won awards as a result of it after he passed away. I mean, it's just such a good film. Uh, I mean, it's I found it a lot darker and a lot grittier compared to sort of previous Batman films. Um, I just I don't know. There's something quite more enjoyable about it. I mean, I, I didn't particularly like the first Christopher Nolan Batman film mm. with uh, Roger Gould. Uh, just wasn't a fan, uh, and I don't even think the third one came remotely close to the Dark Knight. I no. think The Dark Knight sort of just really made the franchise. Um, but, I mean, what a way to sort of bring a character back to life. Yeah, Ledger won um, posthumously the uh, Best Supporting Actor a year after he died. Really? So, oh, yeah, man. so um, it's uh, he, he was obviously recognised for his efforts. And, yeah, I, I think they probably could have... Um, possibly should have ended on that film there's nothing wrong with the dark knight rises but it's nothing on on this one no i mean i say it's something very different um sort of compared to especially sort of the 90s batman films which were yeah. if we've talked about in the past they're just a little bit cheesy i mean we had uh which batman was it that had the nips oh uh, batman and robin wasn't it? Yeah, terrible. No, no one needs that getting the sea. No. Um, but I mean, that sort of rounds up for me, to be honest, on on my naughty films. So I've got plenty of honourable mentions, which sadly didn't make the list. Well, I'm going to um, could have. Yeah, I'm just going to couple cover a couple of those. My final film, and then we'll let you delve in and, and give some nods. Um, I could have chosen Borat, Dan, Sasha. Baron Cohen cult classic. Yep. The cultural lens of America for make benefit glorious nation of Kazakhstan. And I think his new his new one, new Borat Borat films out on Amazon Prime very shortly. Um I could have had another left field one, Five Hundred Days of Summer, Dan. You seen that one? Yeah. 
It's a hugely frustrating, in my opinion, comedy drama film with a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a very enchanting Zoe Deschanel. He decides that he's uh, he's not going to do anything sexual for all of summer, right? Is that the one? No, no, no. That's um, uh, that's that's a different one. No, this one is. Uh, no. He falls in love with Summer, who's played by Zoe Deschanel, and I mean I don't spoil anything because they mention the first two minutes, and they end they end up splitting up. But it's all about how he falls in love with this this very strange but enchanting woman and all the way up to the end of their relationship and it's it's frustrating as hell but anyway it's quite a good film uh, i'm not really selling it but anyway there's other films you can watch but that's 500 days of summer um or even dan 28 days later oh did that have um uh who played hawkeye jeremy renner he's in yeah. one of them right no yeah it wasn't in this one, no. This one had Killian Murphy, who played the guy who woke up in a hospital in London. Um, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston. Uh, but no, the reason why I chose this one, Dan, is because the zombies no longer just shuffled or, or stumbled. They ran like Olympians in a 100-meter dash. They were pretty pretty, pretty terrifying. Um, obviously more bloodier than, than their Olympian counterparts. Um, just quickly Googled it. Uh, Renner was in 28 Weeks Later. Weeks, yeah, which is the, um, yeah. the sequel, yeah. And then this one was a Danny Boyle, another kind of horror film from, um, from the Little British Isles. Um, but that's a great one. But no, I didn't choose those that either, Dan. I chose Hot Fuzz. God, that's a great choice. Simon Pegg. One of my favourite films from the Three Flavours Cornetto Trilogy, as it's called. Now, um, I think it's masterfully created by the devious minds of the Simon Pegg best mate, Nick Frost, real-life best mates, and Edgar, Edgar Wright. Um, now, it's all about this big-time London police officer who's been demoted to a sleepy village in Wales, Somerset, which is a legitimate place in the UK, in the West Country. Um all because he's doing too good a job in London and he's showing everyone up. So he's gone to being, being put out of the way so he doesn't show people up in terms of rests uh, and he's had you know, front, front page successes and um, to live out his life in, in quiet rural in England. But it actually is anything but sleepy, Dan, if you remember. Now, oh, um, vaguely. When prominent village leaders start dying and mysterious and quite comedial or comedic and bloody circumstances, the celebrated London detective sets to work. Now, um, Peg plays Nicholas Angel, who eventually uncovers a devious plot by the NWA. I'm not talking about the NWA, I'm talking about the Neighbourhood Watch Alliance, as they call themselves, <laughs> who um, want to kill off those who stand in the way of winning Village of the Year. Now, obviously, featuring comedy gore, grannies with Uzis, car chases and impalements, I think this film really does have it all. Now, Dan, the budget was a cheap 12 mil, a very cool $12 million, uh, mm. and actually made a semi-respectable 80 at the box office. Um, certified fresh at a splendid 91% on Rotten Tomatoes as I mentioned before it's got Peg Frost also Martin Freeman Bill Nye and Timothy Dalton another Bond uh, former Bond others um, 
and there's there's other films in the trilogy as I mentioned but Hot Fuzz for me I think is one of my favourites um, I think it's one of those rare films I actually went to cinema I sound like quite a miserable old bastard now but I went to cinema I was literally in tears and I was laughing quite audibly along with everyone else in, in, in the cinema but I haven't really watched a film done recently where I've laughed out loud in a cinema but I was mm. laughing and crying not like inappropriately but along with the rest of the crowd and it's just such a funny film uh, it's just so perfectly written and perfectly cast because of course it's it's basically mates getting to getting together and having a great time putting it on film but um it really does come through and as i say that's hot fuzz it's just such a great film if you haven't seen it please go and see it it's just a british comedy at its best um i love it so yeah, that's that's my that's my final one, Dan. What was the other uh, two trilo- uh, two films in the trilogy? One of them, Shaun of the Dead, isn't it? Yeah, Shaun of the Dead was the first one, which is about the zombie apocalypse, but a very silly one in the UK. And then the last uh, one, which I well think done. I saw at the cinema. Yeah, the World's End. I saw that at the cinema as well. Uh, yeah. We'll wait for us to all blow over. Indeed, uh, still doing much that like, now. Uh, I'm going to say much now. like times now. Yeah, but that's all about. Um, uh, childhood friends get together and go on one last final pub crawl but it's a very odd ending um, but anyway yeah I think my favourite is the second one uh, so here are my honourable mentions so yeah. I could have chosen Up um, oh, yeah. to start oh. off really sad like genuinely yeah. sad beginning to a Disney film like I saw this one at the cinema and I, th- I actually genuinely cried at the start of that film oh 100% genuinely. I was I was blowing my eyes out on my little boy. He's, he's starting to watch Disney Plus films. And I fast forward the first seven minutes, 50 seconds or something, because I, yeah. I can't do that, man. Um, I've gotten soft in my old age, but I just can't watch that old man lose his wife again. It's just horrific. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's so colourful and such a beautiful... The soundtrack, though, I mean, I covered this in a, in a radio... Um, program recently the, the soundtrack is just beautiful it's just so well scored it's just such a great film such a great choice if you if you had chosen that one uh i could have chosen russell crowe's gladiator from all the way back oh. in 2002 yeah so good uh national treasure brilliant classic that's on disney plus good old I nick definitely Cage. recommend people go go check that one out uh, 300 I'm surprised we didn't mention those oh, in our, right. uh, our choices uh, uh, Gerard course. Butler isn't it yes yeah, yeah. Gerard Butler Sparta is, uh, yeah taking on um, the savages great film quite odd in terms of the way in which they've depicted in some of the CGI but I think ultimately it's well it's one of the oldest tales in time and it's um, I think it's quite a good film good choice uh, of course, Anchorman, as we mentioned, I could have chosen mm. that over Step Brothers, but for me, Step Brothers just edges it. Okay. Unpopular opinion. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Kill Bill Volume 1. We love a bit mm. of gore. Uh, Inside Man. Oh, yeah. Um, I saw this again, I think, for the second time a couple of months ago. Um, interesting one. That's got Denzel Washington, isn't it? Yeah, do you know what I picked? We're going back to the blockbuster story. Um, I remember going there in 2006, and um, 
this I think it was around my birthday um just before on when and there were a friend and uh, you know they used to sell like the uh, sort of second hand DVDs they're like yeah, yeah. No, we're not renting these they? they would sell them for quite cheap uh, I actually picked up um, Inside Man and one of my other honourable mentions V Vendetta oh, on yes. DVD that day uh, also uh, another goodie uh, what else did I put on my honourable mentions Wally classic oh right yeah a depressing outlook on, on the future of humankind but um it's uh, again another heartwarming tale from um, the Disney Studios. Is uh, I've got the Lego set of Wally actually, which my other half bought for me on my thirtieth birthday. Um, Cracking which present! Is nearly five years ago now. I can't move on getting old. Yeah, we're getting older. Uh, Stranger than Fiction, uh, another Will Ferrell film, which of course oh, yeah. features Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, they say mm. Maggie Gyllenhaal's a bit shite, but it's a mm. good film. It's very weird. So uh, Will Ferrell is, he's living his life as someone's writing it. And uh, I don't want to spoil it for people, but of course at the end of this book, he's supposed to die, but he needs to find out a way to, to stop that from happening. Uh, we love a good disaster film. Uh, oh, yeah. If people revisit our disaster films, uh, Day After Tomorrow. Of course, yes. Uh, another Jake Gyllenhaal film. Uh, a really good one. I mean, it's 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 wholly unbelievable. It's it's the peril dialed up to a hundred, but it's uh, if you take it for what it is, it's it's quite a good watch. Tsunamis, uh, frostbites, wolves. It's got it all. Yeah. Uh, definitely one worth watching if you haven't already uh, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan so of course Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back mm-hmm. is on there uh, surprisingly neither has chose Lord of the Rings trilogy no um, they are good but they're long down aren't they they're so long yeah I'll tell you what uh, let's throw the question out there what is your favourite of the three films just to uh to throw that at you what would you say um for me on the spot yeah for me it's gonna have to be the second um yeah the fellowship was just a bit too slow to start off where they took absolutely forever to get out of the shire um and the cliffhanger was just appalling um was it when they ended up on the back of the eagles or something i just just thought it wasn't very good um for me, the second one, I think they really started to kind of expand the roster uh, and really get into the peril and the, the sheer length of the journey. By the end of the first film, you're, you're ready for it to be ended, the whole trilogy to be ended, in my opinion. Mm. second film, actually, you start to get more interest into um, just how much of an opportunity kind of lays at the feet of man and how it was squandered it previously. And it's all about people band together. And the third one is, uh, I mean, it could have wrapped up about an hour and a half earlier. Um, yeah, for me, it's the second one for sure. Yeah, good you? choice. No, I agree with you on that one. Mm. Totally agree. It's uh, the, the Battle uh, of Helm's Deep, isn't it, in the second one? Yeah, it's classic. I found that one, that fight was better than the, the last. Oh, massively. It's more intense and it's it's a siege battle. Um there's everything to play for. You know, kind of at the end of the third film, if you haven't read the books, and I hadn't kind of where it's going to end. But in the second film, you have no idea. Uh, oh, yeah, it's great directing. It's a great, great set of scenes on a massive scale. It's a great film. 
Uh, two more on my honourable mentions list. Uh, the Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Uh, another oh, sort right. of feel-good, happy film. Have you seen it? I haven't, no. Um, I, I think a lot of people... Jaden's in it as well, I think. Yeah, I think some people are divided in, in terms of their thoughts on it, but um, I know a lot of people kind of see that as his way of illustrating his kind of acting depth and variety. And he, he doesn't do kind of silly films where he's shooting aliens or um, mm. being a naughty cousin in the mansion in Bel-Air. He can do quite a serious kind of outing. I think that's that's one that people say that he really does illustrate kind of his, his abilities. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I love it. Um, it's so good. Generally sort of quite heartwarming towards the end, but... It's one that I think you sort of have to stick with if you do decide to put it on. And mm. uh, last up is Seth Rogen's Knocked Up, where he has a oh, one night yeah. stand with Catherine Heigl, and yeah. uh, she ends up pregnant. And it's got Paul Rudd in it as well. Like, what more could you want? Yeah, the the, the non aging Paul Rudd. And we talk about Catherine Heigl actually, don't we? In uh, Hollywood Divas. In Hollywood yeah, we do. Where um, Dan picks and fights on Twitter over her. Yeah. Um, got some beef Catherine Heigl actually appeared in Suits in the last two seasons I was like uh, I'm not sure how this is going to go but actually she was alright bit of a diva of a character herself in that but definitely worth sticking around for free on picks up Suits on Netflix okay uh, but we're on to the listener Alex we've got three ah, yes. input this week perfect uh, first up we've got Kyle um, he chose Memento. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, Gladiator. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm, with Jim Carrey. The Prestige. Now, why did he chose The Prestige? Again, that's got um, uh, some fantastic, puzzling, confusing storylines, but it's all about two magicians that basically are competing um, I think it's turn of the century um, shows for the audience, um, but there is a kind of a sci-fi twist, but you don't really see it until the very end. Um, ah, such a such a great that one's got um, Christian Bale's in it uh, and Hugh Jackman, as well as Scarlett Johansson, which I believe. Um, it's got quite a good cast. Michael Caine's in it. I mean, it was done by Christopher Nolan. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was gonna I was gonna choose this one of my own, but then I think I've only seen it once or twice maybe, and I thought you know what, the deception was better for me, so that's why I chose it. But yeah, that that was gonna be one of my ones. So great, great choice there, Kyle. Uh, he also chose The Dark Knight. Great choice, as we've sort of mentioned. Moon. Uh, I don't think that's one oh, I've yeah. actually watched. No, I haven't, but I've heard some people say that's kind of a, a cult, cult, kind of a cult following as well. Uh, Inception. That was the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio what? with the dream and the dream and the dream. Is that the, is that right? Yeah. Is that 2010? Yeah. What was that? 2009. I'm not sure now. It's a great film though. Great soundtrack. Yeah. Again, Nolan. Time bending. Easier isn't e dreaming. Oh, it's a great film. Good choice. Uh, Wally. The Lives of Others. Uh, of course, two Will, Will uh, Ferrell classics here, Blazer Glory and Anchorman. Mm, oh, yeah. Into the Wild. Uh, interesting choice, actually. Uh, I've only seen this film once. Uh, it's written by um, Sean Penn. 
And it's about a guy that goes to live out in the wild on his own. Um, it's got a genuinely quite a sad ending um, for the character. Uh, I oh, don't want to spoil yeah. it too much. This Have you seen on, it? No, but I know the some of the background. This is based on a real world um, story. It's um, yeah, biopic. Based I on. can't can't quite remember um, what happens, but he, I'm sure he eats something poisonous and sort of like sadly sort of dies on his own. But he sort of carries on documenting his um, what's sort of going on in his life, which is mm. really sort of bizarre. Uh, District Nine, he's chosen. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know how neither us remember this one. Uh, Team America, fuck yeah. Yes. What a, what a film. Again, that's another one of those films I just was crying all the way through just for puppets having sex and throwing up vomit. And it's just, ah, uh, it makes no apologies for what it was. It's just such a great, great film. 2004 it's by the uh, the writers of South Park if I recall I can yeah. I can never remember their names but yeah uh, f- phenomenal choice uh, next up we've got Claire who has chosen Monsters Inc which is oh, an yeah. absolute classic one of the best ones left field here uh, Napoleon Dynamite yeah I've never seen this but again it's uh, I said quite a few times during this episode but again it's got quite a cult following um, yeah I've never seen it I've seen it. Uh, it's really quirky. Um, it's it's just a really bizarre film, but it's it's funny as well. Like it's definitely one that's worth picking up if you haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, of course, she's chosen National Treasure. Mm. Uh, now she's chosen an interesting one, which I still need to watch, which is Gone Baby Gone, and she's actually put a description on why it was delayed. Uh, it had to be delayed because it was due to come out at the same time Madeleine McCann went missing, and the young girl who goes missing in the film is a doppelganger of her. So, that's a bit awkward, but... Bleak. Um, might have to be one that we, we check out for, for homework. Uh, she's also chosen Frost Nixon. Uh, Step Brothers, never gets old. I nope. didn't want salmon! She's put in brackets. And obviously Iron Man. Of course. Great choices. Uh, last up, we got Gavin. And he said, based on rewatchability, it has to be the original Bourne trilogy. Okay. The Dark Knight. Yeah. And Casino Royale. Oh, perfect choices, Gavin. Yeah, I mean... The Bourne films, uh, I think, that, again, for me, the second one's quite good. The third one, by the end of it, I thought I was, I was done with the franchise. Um, but, but yeah, okay. I mean, we've got all our bases covered in those those films. Great, great selections. Uh, and great input, again, from the listener. Mm. Definitely. But, of course, we always look for our listeners' input. Uh, okay. We always put stuff on the social media. I mean, even if you... Sort of don't want to comment on an episode that we're co- that's coming up. We always look for your suggestions as well. So if there's anything you want to cover, want us to cover, should I say, we'll happily go and do the homework. Oh yeah. So if, if people want to get involved, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at On the Topic Pod, and then of course there's Gmail, which is at On the Topic Podcast at Gmail dot com. Yep, and um, we are hosted on the platform Anchor. 
So what that means is, apart from it doing all the hard work for us, uh, it also allows you to be part of the show directly. So on there, we'll put a link in the description below, or you can get it on our socials. All you've got to do is click on the link, and you can leave a voice message, much like you do if um, if you're a weirdo and actually call someone, as opposed to messaging on WhatsApp. Because um, I don't know who makes a phone call these days, uh, apart from cancelling your car insurance. But anyway, if you want to leave a, um, a voice message, all you've got to do is click on the link, allow it to use your microphone, and you can be directly as part of the show as some of our lessons have done in the past. Um, and and yeah, we'd love to to hear literally hear your voice or your thoughts on any episodes you heard before. Did we miss anything? Have we made the wrong choices? or anything perhaps that you want us to cover off in the future. Indeed. Uh, if you want to get involved in the next upcoming couple of episodes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we will we'll be um, sort of covering what's next for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I say yeah. COVID has had a big effect on this year for, for them. Um, so everything's been pushed back to 2021. Uh, and of course, we'll be doing a volume two of conspiracy theories, which uh, we've already had some interesting um, inputs. Um, someone on Twitter's told me about a UFO that he and others have spotted to um, the UK government using pigeons as drones. Very, very weird stuff. Mm, so we're going to be dusting off our, uh, our tinfoil hats and going down that rabbit hole again. And I think we had great fun doing it the first time around so again I'll put, I'll put a description or a description link uh, below but yeah it's uh, it's a great episode and I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it for the second time around as well yeah indeed uh, we're also trying to we've got some interesting things now haven't we Alex so we're going to be hopefully or attempting to to try and get back in the same room together and I know what the listeners thinking they're probably thinking but Dan Alex don't be so irresponsible you know there's a pandemic going on but we're we're very uh, cautious. We're very safe, and we're going to try and work out a way of hopefully doing it socially distanced. Yeah, using some of your technological wizardry and some wonderful puzzle uh, parcels from Amazon, we'll hopefully mm. be able to get behind the mic, albeit two separate mics, um, in the near future. But we we shall see whether we can do get that. things tested. But we'll we'll keep your eyes peeled on that one and uh, mm. say we'll be doing it safely and responsibly. And uh, we've got some stuff coming in uh, in the post, haven't we, Alex? We've got some stickers, we've got some magnets, Shiny and we've stuff. got some badges. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled, and we'll be running, hopefully, a competition in the near future. Oh, yes. So we'll be looking for your involvement on that one as well, and I will uh, be posting out some bits and pieces to you if you've uh, been, been lucky enough to win them, I guess. But exciting times. Exciting times for OTT. Indeed. But I suppose on that uh, note, Alex, that, that rounds it up for this episode. It does, yeah. So, um, yeah, for another week, I've been Alex. And I've been Dan. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>